But we are in the book of Mark. We're in chapter 14 today in our series entitled Dirt Roads. It's still our series titled Dirt Roads. People could have left our church and come back and we're still in Dirt Roads. <clears throat> They're like, man, just like I, just like I remembered it. <laughs> Mark chapter 14. Last week we... We unpacked the entire chapter of Matthew, Mark chapter 13. It's known as the Olivet Discourse. Um, we did not come close to really um, talking about all the implications of the passage, but I wanted to give you an overview of it. And I hope what you took away from last week, the main thing was that while throughout all the Old Testament and into those first 70 years, God, in order for him to dwell with his people, he dwelt with them in a place. The tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the temple. And he did away with it. And Tim mentioned it this morning as he was leading us in worship. That God's presence is here. Do you know how God's presence is here? It's in us. Like that's not even, and I, that's not even us. That's legitimate theology. God's presence is here today. And it's because it's in us. We are carriers of the presence of God. I'm not preaching last week's sermon. But it kind of goes into this week. This week, we're simply speaking about extravagant worship. Extravagant worship. After the Olivet Discourse, after Jesus takes his disciples up on the Mount of Olives and begins to talk to them about the destruction of the temple... He makes his way to dinner. Let me tell you something. Even in Jesus' last week of his life, he had to eat good. Amen? And uh, I, I would consider myself Christ-like in that, in that sense. Um, but he goes to dinner at a man named Simon's house. And Simon, uh, they call him Simon the leper. By the way, we are in the book of Mark. This is a parallel text in the book of John. And the book of John, you're going to see, gives us a lot more detail about this. And so I'm going to reference John just a little bit. But this is a dinner of thanksgiving, of celebration. John tells us that Mary and Martha and this other guy named Lazarus was at this dinner. Resurrected Lazarus. Okay? That would be awesome to be at that dinner. Mary and Martha, obviously Lazarus's sisters and uh, very close with Jesus. They were here at the dinner. What an incredible time that would be. People have asked me, you know, if you could name, you know, one person in like pop culture or in history that you could have a meal with outside of the Bible. You know, I've said things like Kobe Bryant. I would love to just sit down with Kobe Bryant and ask him questions and find out what made him tick. And I know if you're not a sports fan, you probably think that's really stupid, uh, but, but I'd love to. Well, here's a situation. If I could pick a situation in the Bible that I could be there. I want to be there when Jesus, who probably healed Simon the leper, is invited to Simon's house. And Simon's like, oh, I'm going to bring Lazarus, the guy that used to be dead, that you resurrected from the dead, and his sisters, I'm going to bring them. I would like to be there. And so today, let's do our best to get there. Can we? Can you imagine these conversations? A leper outcast healed 
a man who had died physically, resurrected at dinner with Jesus. Let's read. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, in your Bibles, in an app on the screen. Verse 1, after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table. A woman came having an alabaster, alabaster flask of a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. I'm going to 2022 it. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Extravagant worship. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. May this not be informational today. May today be transformational. May we not just listen with our ears, but may we open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I believe it's worth noting this morning as we start the tension that had arisen in Jesus' last week on this earth. You have him coming to Jerusalem. You, As we see here in this text, it highlights again this was Passover. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. It's unclear how many times he had been back to Jerusalem during Passover. So we've already spoken about that. It was kind of the tensions were high. This is a man who's claiming to be God. He's healing people. Some people are following him. Some people are rejecting him. But he's claiming some pretty incredible things. And here he comes into Jerusalem during Passover. There were some within the religious uh, sect, uh, the religious leaders there, some of the scribes, some of the the, the Pharisees and other religious leaders that had had enough of his antics. They did not believe that he was who he said he was, the Messiah. And now they were simply waiting for the right time to kill him. We see that here. Our text begins with them saying, we are ready to kill him, but not right now. For if we do it right now, there's so many people are here. It's the Passover. It's so much going on. If you can imagine, it would be, it would be like saying, oh, we want to take him out, but it's, it's Christmas. We're not going to do it at Christmas. Let's let it sit for a little bit. And that's, that's the way in their culture it was. So, so Jesus, this was not his time yet. He shows up at this dinner party during his Passion Week, the final week of his life. He committed some time to spend with his friends and with those that he had ministered to and he had ministered with. I actually think about that sometimes. If I knew that I had a week to live, as I mentioned last week, what would I do? And I believe one of them would, I would want to have a meal with some of my friends. I think that would be something I would want to do if I knew that I had seven days to live. If I could choose the menu, that would be even better. 
ribeye, medium well, I'm sorry, medium well, come on, what is this? Medium rare, uh, ribeye, mushrooms, some asparagus, anyway, I can keep on going. Some chips and salsa for, I got to do that, right? Doesn't fit there, but it's, it's, it's going to be in the meal. But I think about that, and I think about Jesus. What a, what a time, honestly, if you think about the things, he's talked about some heavy things. He's dealt with some heavy things in this week so far. And I feel like this is kind of like, okay, for just this brief moment, I'm going to have a meal with people that actually love me and care about me, my friends, the people that I've healed. And as we mentioned prior, John gives us more details in his story. By the way, if you want to reference that on your own, it's John chapter 12, if you want to reference that. Uh, maybe later, but we find out that the woman who poured out her worship was none other than Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And this isn't uncommon that Mary would be the one, do you remember, when Jesus came to the house to resurrect Lazarus, what did we find Martha doing? She was busy fixing the meal and making sure everything was perfect. What was Mary doing? She was at Jesus' feet. This isn't uncommon for her because she spent time at the feet of Jesus. She was the one in this text who approached Jesus honestly, unexpectedly, and worshipped him. So let's dig into the passage today, knowing the characters, okay, that are at this dinner. Number one, I want us to see this, that her worship was unrestricted. Her worship was unrestricted. Look at verse 3 in our text, Mark 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman uh, came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and she poured it on his head. The book of John tells us that once she poured it on his head, that she then took her hair and she wiped his feet with this same uh, oil and, and we, we believe this oil uh, that, that, that she anointed Jesus with was a very expensive, like a perfume. If you can imagine uh, going and finding the most costly perfume that you could find and bringing that and then taking that glass bottle and smashing it and anointing the head of Jesus with it. And there was so much there that it would drip down and it got onto his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. Mary, the one who had a track record of, of worshiping Jesus, takes the alabaster flask, this expensive perfume, and, and pours out her worship, and pours out her devotion, a symbol of her love, a symbol of her adoration to her Savior. And once again, this was not her first time, but she pours that out unrestricted, unrestricted. And may I say today, a lot of us, if we look at the the contrast between Martha and between Mary, the scripture doesn't say this, but judging from the past with them, Martha was probably helping Simon get all the food ready. Martha had the dessert in the oven. She was ready. Martha had gotten, you know, the Chip and Joanna Gaines set from Target. Everything was right there on the table. She had a farmhouse table built just for this. She was ready. She was ready. She was helping. She had contracted Kevin to make her table for her, I'm sure. No, I sit in there somewhere, Kevin. But can you, can you imagine Martha? She's the busy. She's busy. She's busy. She's always got to be busy. Can I say, I'm all for busyness. I'm all for doing things right. I'm all for making sure every, all the, the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. But every now and then, Martha, you need to marry Every now and then, Martha, 
You need to put down the work. You need to worship. Hey, every now and then, you need to put down the cooking utensils, Martha, the busyness of your Christian life. You need to drop to your knees. You need to worship him, unrestricted. Unrestricted. Mary did not care who was there. I mean, let's, let's face it. There were two men here at this, at this dinner who were specifically healed by Jesus. Mary didn't care. Oh, certainly if someone's going to worship and someone's going to do something out of the ordinary, surely it's going to be Lazarus. Or maybe it'll be the host, Simon. But no, Mary was unrestricted in her worship. She was not concerning herself with the other people around her. She was not fretting about the dishes being done properly or the desserts being brought out. No, Martha was taking care of that probably. Mary was solely, 100% focused on Jesus. Solely, 100% focused on Jesus. She knew in her heart that Jesus was her Savior. She knew that anointing him with this expensive perfume was a way to show her devotion. And Jesus actually hints at the fact that this shows that she believed that he was going to die and be resurrected. He even hints in Mark that she was preparing his body. She was going to worship Jesus just as she was led to do, completely unrestricted. But what will people think? What will the host think? What will my brother think? What will my, I'm sure my sister will say, Mary, get in here and help. But she didn't care. She only cared for Jesus. She only cared for Jesus. And may I say this morning, quite frankly, that we could use a major dose of this in our churches today. People who are not afraid to extravagantly pour out their worship without care or concern about what others think of them. People who will lift their hands in praise and worship or people who will lift their hand to swing a hammer or people who will lift their hand to grab their wallet to meet a need. Those who will worship the way the Spirit leads them. Those that will pick up a broom and sweep a floor. Those that will worship extravagantly. Those that will open up a mouth and invite someone to church. We need today a revival of those that will pour out their worship and, and care not what anyone else is doing. Care not what's, what else is going on. Just concerning themselves with them and Jesus. It's me and it's Jesus. And I'm going to worship him. I'm going to show him the adoration and the love that he so deserves. And so Mary takes a bottle of Jimmy Choo. That's expensive, right? I think it is. Oh, they don't have the knockoff at Costco or anything, so I'm not really sure. She takes a bottle of expensive cologne at dinner, and she worships Jesus. It wasn't in the temple, by the way. She got it. What Jesus just tried to explain to, her disciple, to his disciples in the previous chapter, she got it. I don't have to be in the temple. 
she worshiped. And she did so with no restrictions. By the way, we, I, th- I hope you get this, this sense in our church. We're a free worship church. I know some of y'all came from church where like your hands are glued to your sides. That's okay. That's fine. But man, we're a church, we, we, we want to express, in fact, Tim could get up here if I let him right now and he could walk you through the Old Testament where it not only encourages us to be expressive in our worship, it actually commands us to be expressive in our worship. But I don't want to, that's okay, it's a command. Her worship was unrestricted, but get ready. Secondly, her worship was unwelcomed. It was unwelcome. Let's look at the text. Mark chapter 14, back in the text, verse 4. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. You're not in John 12, right? Everybody still in Mark? All right, don't go to John 12 right now because you're going to find out the answer. All right, some were indignant. Some, right? There were some who were indignant. Now, certainly, if I'm if I follow the life of Christ, if I follow what has happened over His three and a half year ministry, if I followed Him so far in the Passion Week, I know who these people are—the ones that were indignant and the ones who criticized Mary for worship. I know who they were. They were the scribes, the Pharisees, and the religious leaders, right? That's what it would think, right? I mean, let's be honest. If I'm just reading this text and I don't cross-reference John chapter 12, I'm thinking, man, those scribes, man, those Pharisees, here they are. They showed up for the dinner, man. Just let the man eat. You know what John 12 tells us? You know who the sum was? Well, we know who at least one of the sum was. You know who he was? Judas. It was Jesus' disciples. Stick with me. And it wasn't just Judas. They talk of Judas in John 12. Mark says there were some, plural. So we can't just be like, oh, Judas, he was a betrayer anyway. Oh, that's just Judas. No, there were some. Jesus' own disciples looked at Martha and criticized her for her worship. Jesus' own disciples looked at her and verbally challenged her. Because of the way she worshipped. By the way, we know it was Judas who at least mentioned how expensive the perfume was. Because it's going to be just a few hours from now that Judas is going to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was all about that money. We know he's the one who mentions that was expensive perfume. But there were some. These ones, these... Disciples of Jesus led by Judas. The truth is this, when Mary chose to worship unrestricted and without abandon, and when, she, when, when Mary chose to worship Jesus extravagantly, other followers of Jesus took issue. Other people who claimed to love and serve and follow Jesus criticized her. Rest assured this morning, If you worship Jesus without abandon, if you worship Jesus extravagantly, 
There will be other believers who claim to follow Jesus who look at you and maybe they're not verbally critical of you to your face, but they'll look at you and they'll, they'll look at you with that side eye. They'll give you the stank face. They'll talk to their friends about you. Rest assured, if you worship without abandon, if you worship extravagantly, if, if your level of worship equals taking a bottle of perfume and, and pouring it over the head of your Savior, there's going to be some followers of Jesus who look at you and go, man, what a waste, man, what in the world? That's not, what? I'm going to bring it down to where we live here in a second. Other believers will run their mouths. Maybe once in a while they'll be bold enough to say it to your face, but most of the time they will talk about you behind your back. They may even say something like, I've got a prayer request. I need something for you. To, I got something I need you to pray about. And they disguise their gossip as prayer requests. Christians are awesome at that. But just remember. If you worship extravagantly, if you worship without abandon this morning, you aren't worshiping for anyone else's approval. Mary did not pour that perfume over Jesus' head and she did not wash his feet with that perfume for the approval of her brother Lazarus. She did not pour that perfume out and wash his feet with that perfume for the approval of her sister Martha. She didn't do it for the approval of the disciples, for Simon the leper, the host of the meal. She was simply worried about, is this offering of worship pleasing to my Savior? Is it pleasing to Jesus? So when I lift my hands to worship on a Sunday morning, I'm lifting them to Jesus and to Jesus alone. And I don't care what you think. When I, when I, when I lift my hands while I'm driving my car, one hand, uh, one hand on the wheel. When I lift my hands while I'm driving the car and I pull up beside somebody else, I don't care what they think. I've seen a bunch of other people acting in a fool at a stoplight before. And they don't care. I don't, I don't care what anyone thinks. When, when we sing a new song, Tim, or when we sing an, an old song that everyone knows, we aren't singing for your approval or for anyone else's approval. When we sing on a Sunday morning, we are singing to Jesus and to Jesus alone. And you can like it or you can not like it. And we don't care because we're not singing to you. And we're not singing to me. We're singing to Jesus. If you understood mine and Tim's relationship, you would understand this. There are some songs that I say, hey, Tim, we've got to do this one, bro. We've got to do this one as quickly as we can, please. And there are other songs that Tim puts on there, and I'm like, man, I've only heard that song like once or twice. I'm not, I'm not really sure how that one's going to go. Guess what? It ain't about me, and I'm the lead pastor. Guess what happens? It goes really well. And we sing them over and over again. And it goes really well over and over again. You know what? Because it's not about me, and it's not about Tim. And it's not about the drummer, and it's not about the guitar, and the keys, and vocalists. It's about Jesus. And when we come together and we worship him, I don't care. By the way, all them old songs that are old to you now were new to somebody at some point in time. I'll never forget reading an article about these new songs and these, these honky-tonks they're bringing into the church. The way they play the pianos. You know what song they were talking about? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Why are they bringing that garbage into the church? No, at the end of the day, old, new, familiar, unfamiliar. We're not lifting our hands in worship to you or to me. We're lifting them to Jesus. Now listen this morning. It's not just lifting our hands in worship. It's not just about music. We're going to get there as we kind of bring this together. 
But it matters not if my worship is welcomed by you or not. What matters is, is it welcomed by Jesus? Is it welcomed by Jesus? You see, Mary's worship, as she poured out her worship extravagantly on Jesus, it was unwelcomed by the disciples. But number three, look at this, her worship was undeniable. It was undeniable. Look back in the text this morning, Mark chapter 14 and verse 6. But Jesus said, hey, Judas said, the disciples said, but Jesus said, okay? But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body. For Jesus says, she gets it. She knows I'm about to die. And you disciples don't even get it, man. You're not even going to be there when I rise again. Y'all don't even understand. She gets it. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. Jesus says, not only do I receive it, man, we're going to proclaim what this lady's done. We're going to tell everybody what she's done. By the way, if I can, this is a very positive sermon, but if I may just briefly push on this. If you find yourself criticizing and judging other people's way of worship, I have three words for you from the mouth of Jesus. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. So you don't get on your knees and lift your hands. Leave them alone. Oh, so they sit there and they, and they don't express themselves like you express. Leave them alone. You don't know their struggle. You don't know their personality. You don't know the history. Leave them alone. But I don't want to end the sermon that way today. I want us to see that while others complained of Mary's worship, Jesus says she has done a good work. Jesus did not deny her worship. Jesus did not criticize her worship. Jesus did not criticize the manner in which she worshiped. He fully accepted it. And I firmly believe Jesus accepted Mary's worship because he knew that her worship came from a, a pure heart and her motives were correct. And her motives were not for her praise or for her notoriety, but for Jesus to be praised and for Jesus to have notoriety. Extravagant worship. How does it look like in your life? You say, well, Josh, you're talking about music, man. I'm Okay, music is a great part of worship it is and I was kind of robbed of that some growing up but it's only a part we worship in spirit and in truth everything we do we are either worshiping Jesus or we're worshiping some other idol so when you go to work tomorrow whatever it is that you do you're either going to worship Jesus at your job or you're going to worship your job or you're going to worship your boss or you're going to worship the almighty dollar. Or you're going to worship getting ahead. Whatever it is. So any and everything we do is... When I go home today and I interact with my, my family, 
I'm interacting as a husband and a father. I'm either worshiping Jesus as that or I'm worshiping myself. Or even, this is where it gets a little tense, worshiping my kids or my wife. That's also not right. Okay, so every act that we perform is an act of worship. We're either worshiping Jesus or we're worshiping ourselves or an idol this morning. So may I, may I say this, and if I may use some illustrations that maybe will help you understand. We can worship in how we live, and so as we worship extravagantly, um, may we come alongside others that worship extravagantly and worship extravagantly with them. May we not criticize others that worship extravagantly. May we say, that's what I want to do. I want to get to that point where I'm willing to break my brand new perfume bottle over Jesus. So this morning, may we look at what Brent does and coming two to three nights a week and, 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 and spending a lot of time helping. May we not look at that and be critical of that. May we look at that and we say, praise the Lord, and may we rejoice in the extravagant worship that's being shown through serving and through swinging a hammer. May, we may look at what Justin does on a weekly basis and say, man, that's ridiculous. He's got a full-time job. He's working overtime. He's got his, his health of his, of his son and, and all these things going on in his life. And man, what he does, it's just ridiculous what Justin does back there. Now, may we not be critical. May we say, man, praise the Lord for the extravagant worship that Justin is showing. Man, I, I hope that I can create the margin in my life that I can do the same. May we not this morning, may we not watch Tim passion, passionately lead a song and passionately lead us to worship and go, man, that's a little over the top. I'm not really sure about that. No, no, no. May we say, God, would you open my heart that way? God, would you open my hands that way? God, would you allow me to worship extravagantly? Some might look at the way Reed and Debbie are, are really gifted in, in, in helping people and just seeing needs and just caring for people. They have a gift. May we see that and not go, man, that's a little over the top. I mean, good night. Not everybody can be that way. No, may we say, praise God for the gift he's given them. Praise God for the way they use it to worship him. And God, can I get more like that? Can I become extravagant like that? May we look at the things going on around us. May we see someone like Nathan Nathaniel Miller, who's serving our kids today, who comes every single Sunday at 9 o'clock, whether he's got something to do here or not, every Sunday at 9 o'clock, you know what he does? He walks in and goes, hey, man, you need anything? You need me to do anything? And when some of y'all don't get here to serve on time, you know what he's doing? He's filling in. He's being real. That's wild. That's crazy. I'm not getting here an hour early. That's fine. Don't. Let Nate Mill. He's worshiping Jesus. He's serving Jesus in his own simple way. Listen, we're not going to become critical of extravagant worship. Whether it be on a stage and platform with music or whether it be swinging a hammer upstairs. You know what we're going to do? We're going to praise Jesus that he's given us extravagant worship. By the way, that's just a sample size. There's a, a lot of extravagant worship that goes on in our church. In a lot of different ways. There are those that lead in groups. And there are those who, who do behind the scenes work. And there's so much that goes on to pull off what we do. We're not going to criticize worship. We're going to pray that God allows us to worship freely like that. God, create the margin in my life where I can worship like that. Maybe, maybe remove the sin in my life so that I can worship like that. I mean, let's get really real. Hey, let my wife understand what I'm doing and that it's temporary and letting me go 
multiple nights a week in worship. Let that happen and let that be fine in my marriage. That's right where we live. That's down here where we live. Let that happen in my heart. Let that happen in my family. Listen, when Josh comes around and says, hey, Reed and Debbie, you good to host a group again? Josh, we've been doing it for three and a half years. But yes. Instead of being like, why don't we say, hey, God, could you create margin? Could you maybe give us the house that we need to be able to do this? Can we? Listen, extravagant worship. Yeah, it's got something to do with, I will sing of the goodness of God. Right, Mel? It's got something to do with that. But it's got a whole lot more to do with just the way we live our lives. God, give me opportunities and margin and give me the space in my life that I need to be able to be extravagant. I want to give extravagantly. When, when there's a need in the church, I want to be able to say, okay, I'm going to meet the need. I'm going to meet it. I'm going to do it. God, you opened my eyes to the Holy Spirit. You led me. I'm going to do it extravagantly. For those Marthas in our church, I mentioned a couple of you, the ones that work and work and serve and work and serve. Those are good things. Make sure that you marry, M-A-R-Y, as much as you Martha. Okay? And I'm not, I don't want to apologize. I'm just saying, just get ready. For those that just marry, Sometimes we need to Martha. Is that okay to say? For those of us that just kind of sometimes get in this like internal, sometimes we need that to flow into our hands and our feet. And we need to pack some books at a nonprofit. Extravagant worship. It's in spirit, Mary. It's in truth, Martha. Extravagant worship. It's other people who are followers of Jesus, might go, I don't know if I'd do all that. If you have people saying that about you, you're in a great spot. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. Awesome. I'm glad you're not. Praise the Lord. But I don't think that I will ever do. Awesome. You don't have to. I'm not asking you to. I'm just glad you said that about me. Judas. I'm just kidding. I won't call you Judas. <laughs> Extravagant worship. For Mary, it was taking a bottle of perfume, breaking it, and pouring it over the head of Jesus. I don't know what it looks like in your life. I don't know your gifts or your talents. Some of you I do. I don't know all your gifts and all your talents. But what does it look like for you? What does being extravagant for Jesus look like for you? And it's going to look differently for you than it does the brother or sister sitting down the road from you. What does it look like for you? Young churches will become community changers, city changers, when they have a group of people who get together and say, I want to be extravagant in whatever I do. And that lesson, that's not like dolling it up so everybody can see. That's not what that means. It means I want to be all in, 110% pedal to the metal as God gives me margin, as God gives me space, as God gives me opportunity.
Listen, if you've never experienced serving Jesus that way, maybe you've never experienced having his Holy Spirit living inside of you. Maybe you, maybe you hear all this and you're like, man, why in the world would I? Maybe you need a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know. Mary had one. Mary had one. It was so personal that she believed the truth that Jesus was speaking before the disciples did. That's how real her faith was. If your faith isn't real this morning, we're, you're in a place today who cares deeply about your personal faith and your personal relationship with Jesus. We care so much. And if you don't have one today, Jeff's right there in the back. Jeff's brother went to be with the Lord this week. I can promise you Jeff would love nothing more than the Sunday after his brother going to heaven that he's able to take someone down that path and show them how Jesus loves them and how much he wants to save them. You can see myself. You can, see, you can see any of us. Melissa's right here. I know Melissa would love to. I just called you out, Melissa. I'm sorry. I woke you up. I'm just kidding. I, I know she would love to have you. Cassie right here. I know others that would love to help you. Listen, he's worth it. He's worthy. He's worthy of every single bit of praise and worship that we can give him. Heavenly Father, I pray that when outsiders look at this church they can't quite put their finger on it I pray that when people visit this church and check it out kick the tires a little bit I pray that they can't quite put their finger on it But I pray that we know that all it is is a bunch of people who say, as God allows me, as the Spirit leads me, I want to become extravagant in my worship. I want to become extravagant in the ways that I serve, in the ways that I operate, in the way that I sing, in the way that I play in the way that I love the children of our church, in the way that I greet people, in the way that I whatever it may be, fill in the blank. Give me margin, Jesus, to be extravagant. Thank you so much for being worthy of this worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.